Hi, welcome to MedTech for Beginners, the place to come if you want to know more about how to bring new health and care innovations into the UK market. During this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Steve Lane. He is a senior associate of PIMS Consultancy and has got vast experience behind him of working with a range of different companies in different disease areas, technology, and also putting together new services based around care, support, and nursing. So welcome, Steve. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kate. I'm looking forward to it. Could we start by just letting the listeners know a little bit more about you maybe just to start of what made you come into this career how did you get here I quite often get asked that question well um so I sort of back in the late 90s uh, when I finished my degree was sort of thinking about what is it I really wanted to do and one of the things I touched on in my degree which was in economics and philosophy was I studied medical ethics as part of my philosophy side of my degree which got me really kind of interested in the whole medical in its most broadest sense. And so on the other half of my degree, which is economics, I did my dissertation, economics dissertation on the NHS and what was then the establishment of the internal market. And whilst I was doing that, um, I, as a student, I always worked part-time. And, and so I got myself a part-time job as a hospital porter, which got me into the hospital environment and working around there. And then just whilst I was uh, sort of temping, sort of post immediately post-graduation for what was a, a hospital, it wasn't even a trust back then, it was before all the trusts were formed, I worked as a receptionist um, in, this, in this hospital. And these people in suits with business cards kept coming in to talk to doctors. And I just said to one, of them one day well what do you do uh, and they were pharmaceutical reps so I, I had a conversation with one of those which led me to a recruitment agent which then led me to my first job in the industry as a pharmaceutical rep um, which I did for two years and I think that was quite a back then it was quite a, a, a normal routine um, and then once you kind of got experience under your belt and, and learnt the industry I, I sort of thought well pharmaceuticals is interesting but um, I actually thought that being in hospitals was more of what I wanted to do rather than being uh, in sort of general practice and so I got myself a job as a hospital rep for a company and that was my first step into medical technology and you know my career kind of went from there so I spent you know my first four years of my career was in sales then I moved into product management and then sort of moved into orthopedic trauma in product management, which was really kind of interesting, uh, sort of understanding the importance of, you know, not just a product, but the whole training package that comes with it. And the company I worked for did that very, very well uh, and, and really focused on training. Then after four years in orthopedic trauma, I joined a company called Baxter Healthcare, uh, and I spent 10 years at Baxter. And my first three years were in, again, stayed in the surgical field in sort of hemostats and seeing things that either stop bleeding or prevent it from happening in the first place, um, you know, after surgery. Uh, and then I moved into their, they had a biopharmaceutical division at that stage. So I was a business unit manager for their immunoglobulin business. So I had three years in biopharma within Baxter. And then after that, I moved into head of home care. So I became head of home care for Baxter, which was my first foray really into sort of chronic conditions and things like dialysis and people uh, who needed to be fed through a central line. So peritoneal nutrition, etc. So, so that kind of really turned my career from 
being in a place where you're working with a surgeon who's fixing a specific problem to moving into kind of chronic conditions. And that's, of course, that, where I met someone called Kate Pym. Yes, <laughs> the first yes. Time. Yeah. That, that is where we met. And we were working on a project. I think we were working on assisted peritoneal dialysis, so home assisted Correct. care. Yes. And it, 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 it is a whole new dimension when you start adding people in with the technology as well, isn't it? Where yeah. you've, you've got all the technology, you've got the training packages, you've got everything around that, but then you're meeting up with other challenges that patients might have and how you overcome them. Yeah. So uh, we worked on, on the launch of uh, assisted peritoneal dialysis. Uh, yeah. And uh, so your side of it was looking at the nursing side, yeah. putting together that team. My side of it was to talk to the commissioners and uh, get them to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and and I think the other thing we did, it was the very first, uh, at the time it was a first for Baxter, which was back then called Telehealth, um, which was a way of just simply replacing patients' diaries with... Um, it wasn't even an app. It was a smartphone-compatible website for, for patients to fill in rather than paper diaries. And so that was something else that we did which was quite interesting. Yes. I, Baxter did have quite a few different technologies and treatments that we could play with <laughs> in our own yeah, way. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so looking back on your career, I think we sort of entered pharmaceuticals and were probably out carrying the bag as pharmaceutical reps around the same time as each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what are the main changes that you've seen during that period? Yes, so certainly I think what back then on the pharmaceutical side, certainly you had huge sales forces, you know, out there. You had lots of people sort of chasing, you know, sort of doctor's appointments and, and, and trying to sort of get your messages across as much as possible. And I think what we've seen change is kind of from that sort of very basic, you know, sales rep getting key communication messages across to doctors to much more of an account management approach. So there are, I think, fewer of us than there once were. But the, the job that's done today isn't just about getting key communication messages across. I think it's much more about understanding the real needs and challenges of whether it's doctors, nurses, whichever pharmacist, whichever professional you go to see. And then trying to build up a much more of a, a kind of business to business type relationship with them. And I think that's been a big, a big shift um, that we've seen. I, I think the other thing we've seen is, you know, there's been a very big change in sort of the, the regulation and the way you can interact with, with medical professionals. You know, it wasn't unusual 20 years ago to have sort of big meetings and, you know, those meetings might have, you know, the, there'd always be an educational meeting, but it might be in a golfing resort so people could go golfing after those sorts of things. All that's been killed, all that's gone, no longer exists. There's a lot more limitation around, you know, entertainment and all that sort of thing. So it is much more today purely about, what the product it is that you're selling and the benefits it's going to deliver to either the patients or the or how it's going to help that medical professional in their practice I think that's that's been a big change yeah I've seen significant changes when I first started um, there were PCTs and yeah. uh, and and then PCTs were replaced with CCGs and yeah. then CCGs have now been replaced by ICSs yeah. so I don't know what it'll be by the time we end our careers but yeah, 
yeah. one thing I always say you can guarantee in NH in the NHS is that it's going to change just That's when you've got true. to understand how it works. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the irony is with that dissertation that I wrote at, at the end of my um, university days back in the late 90s, by the time I actually got to work in the industry, it was already out of date because there'd been a change in government and <laughs> and, yes. and, and everything. Yeah, so it just it just happens all the time. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's right. You've always got to have, I think, an open mind and accept the fact that this industry is a continued learning environment because everything changes all the time. It's constantly in flux. So you can't ever think, right, I understand NHS procurement now. That's done. <laughs> Move on. It's, yes. you've, got, you've got to keep an eye on it and things will keep changing. And it changes across the regions of the UK as well. So I think that's, that's what you need to do. Yes, another key phrase in the NHS is it's different here. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So... I know that we've worked together on a number of different projects, both with Baxter and at PIMS Consultancy. So um, thinking about those projects that you've worked on, what are your main considerations when someone comes to you yeah. and says, I've got this new product that I want to bring to market? Um, yeah. What are your first thoughts and initial discussions with them? Yeah. So the first, the first thoughts are... Uh, is my field of expertise going to be appropriate? Because I'm I'm a commercial person. I, I can figure out how to bring something uh, into the marketplace. So the first discussion we'll have around regulatory. Where are they with that? Because actually, if, if there's still the regulatory side of the product hasn't been put into place, then we'll introduce them to other associates within PIMS who are regulatory and, uh, experts. So assuming that is in place and they have got the appropriate approval, um, then it will be, well, is this a product that already fits into uh, an established care pathway? So, for example, in the field of orthopaedics I've, I've worked in, you know, if, if someone's got a new bone graft, you know, it's kind of more so then you're, you're talking about is positioning against products that already exist. Um, so it's, it's a very different approach to the market versus, well, actually, I've got a completely new new thing here that doesn't fit into an established sort of uh, care pathway. Then we've got a much bigger task, and that's really where you need, you know, the expertise of, of market access people because you you need to have a really robust business case because you have to, in the first instance, going to have to get the NHS to pay for something where if it's secondary care, for example, they haven't already got a, a tariff, a funding pathway that they're going to get reimbursed for with this. So you, you've got to really have, a, you know, take the client through what is the what evidence have they got to show that this will bring real value to the NHS and have that case. Also, depending on the cost, you've got to be prepared that this could be quite a long process. So you might need to go all the way through some sort of nice approval, um, which could take you know quite a while to get approved. And even then, once you've got a nice approval, it's not a guarantee. You've got to still make sure you've got all the understand the local business cases uh, for people to choose your product um, and, and actually start spending money on it. Nice approval is an interesting subject because mm. I quite often say to clients, actually, I wouldn't recommend you go for nice at the moment. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so 
when when people are considering that nice approval yes is is excellent to have it is fantastic to have nice approval Uh, but if you actually read the case reports within nice about products that have gone for nice approval but the level of evidence is insufficient what can happen is you've got a product that's already out there and it's already selling and then nice is um judgment on that product comes back as not suitable for use in any other circumstance other than trials and so you can really shoot yourself in the foot with nice approval seeking it at the wrong time can't you yeah absolutely and there is a service that um we could help clients with there is almost like a pre-nice um process that you can go through to avoid that because you're, you're absolutely right and i think nice have kind of recognized that in that they've almost done themselves a disservice um, because it's sort of discouraging people for going for it. So there is almost like this, it's like a nice audit, as it were. So so you could kind of go through that, understand the gaps before you then go for the, the, the nice approval. Um, but to your point, Kate, it, it's, it, it's something that you, you might have to do, particularly if you've got a high cost product, you know, that's ultimately where you're going to have to end up being to go on scale. But you're right, so many products, particularly if they're not really high cost, um, and actually the benefits that are delivered at a trust level or a primary care, wherever it is, you know, they're seeing the, the actual benefits of it. Um, and it's not like a whole NHS type benefit that you're trying to sell. Then you're right. You focus on people who are going to use the product in the shortest period of time and see those benefits. And you don't need to put yourself through all those extra bureaucratic layers. Mm. And sometimes the people that are going to use the product product are going to buy it on Amazon or eBay. Like yes, there is that even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think that's a really interesting point you make. That there's, there's a couple of things here. Whilst, you know, the, the latest numbers I think I remember seeing is around 90 to 95% of all healthcare spend in the UK is, is NHS. Um, there is also the kind of health and wellness type thing that's growing as well which is this this border uh, and certainly you know a company that i've been you know talking to in the last few months um around a potential product to help uh, with tourette's you know they were very much looking down the the health and wellness side of things and actually if it's not a terribly expensive device why not go direct to consumer uh, and similarly as well you know there are other kind of alternative type products that are non-invasive you know for pain management etc you know so you're absolutely right it's really thinking about what makes sense for your product what absolutely makes sense for your product and and in this environment if it's relatively low cost what why go to or through all the extra challenges to to get it get it sort of bought by the nhs i think that's really worth thinking about yeah um so thinking about the growth areas that Things are changing considerably yeah. at the moment, as they always do. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest growth area for new technology coming into yeah. the NHS? Well, I think we've seen an absolute explosion of digital health. I mean, that project that you and I worked on in the 2010s, you know, we were, I think, at that time, I think um, incumbent med- medical device and medical technology manufacturers were thinking about telehealth is like an additional feature to their current 
service offering or product offering. Whereas now I think people understand that digital health is an end in itself. Um, and I think we've seen, you know, a huge explosion of digital health companies. Um, I think the next step on and we're seeing is it with um, artificial intelligence, AI on top of that as well. And again, you know, it's really been really interesting since the time, you know, I've been working with you in this last just over a year now. Um, you know, we've, we've spoken to a number of you know, digital health and AI companies as early as spin-outs coming out of universities. And I think AI is interesting for a number of reasons. One is, I think we'll see some interesting AI products that will stand on, on their own two feet. But actually, I think the really interesting piece is how they can really add to the um, current capability of existing technology. So there's one project which, you know, we worked on, which was actually looking at sort of data that's already picked up by devices that are monitoring mothers um, to be able to really predict early birth. And that's really important because the earlier you're able to predict early birth, you can manage it better to stop, you know, children or at least not stop, but significantly reduce the number of infants that end up in special care baby unit, which is just a great thing. Um, and, and better for the mothers, better for the babies. So, so there's that kind of thing. And there's another project I'm working on, which is taking uh, technology. Uh, it's a piece of AI software that takes data that already uh, exists and is being pulled off dialysis machines and using that to monitor AV fistula health. And, and anyone who knows anything about hemodialysis, if the, the fistula is how you get the blood in and out of the patient. And if the fistula goes wrong, then the patient can't receive dialysis. If a patient can't receive dialysis, it, it's obviously detrimental to their health. You know, morbidity goes up uh, quite considerably. So for me, it, you know, I think digital health has absolutely arrived but it's this new sort of overlayer of AI and AI with incumbent technology, I think is really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's going to be the, the next thing for me to, to observe. Yes, I'm working on some other AI projects as well involving yeah. um, potential organs for transplants. It's fascinating um, mm. how much uh, more information can be gathered using AI, but also it's that... Um, it's that pinpoint precision and uh, laser attention to detail, which yeah. as a human being, you cannot get to the same yeah. level. Um, I'm also working on another project, which is looking at um, acoustic uh, monitoring of bedside alarms. And again, mm -hmm. the human ear can't pick up tonal changes in the same way that a device that mm -hmm. monitors acoustic sounds and picks up those different tonal variations. So there, there is an awful lot out there. And I think the general public really don't know how much new technology is coming into healthcare in a good way. I, mean, yeah. I don't want people to think that there are robots coming in deciding who gets what and, and no. uh, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it is fascinating. No, so. No, I think you. I think you hit a good point. It, it really is to assist clinical decision making. Is to improve it. It's really where it fits. It's yeah, not replacing absolutely. It. It's not replacing it. Yeah. Yeah. If if it starts to replace clinical decision making, then it becomes a whole new circle of hell with regulatory affairs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
this is something a question that I'm going to be asking everybody so yeah. looking back over your career is there anything that in hindsight you would do differently um, maybe on a project or in your on your career as a whole is there anything that you think actually I wouldn't have done it that way if I knew what I know now mm, I think I think that's really interesting actually um well, I, I think it's not necessarily anything specific to any project or anything, but I think just more generally, um, I, I think just being more forthright about ideas that, that you have, and particularly when you're coming into an industry as well. You know, it's amazing how many people you see and you think, oh, right, I, th- I thought I thought that, but they've actually gone and done something about it. You know, that's the whole bit. So if you, if you see if you see something, start speaking to people. I'd say particularly if there are any sort of younger people who are listening and thinking about medical technology careers, and if they, they, if they observe something and they think, well, why is nobody doing anything about that? Just start asking questions and go and finding out because you, you, you might have an idea. I think sometimes, um, you know, when I've looked back, I've made the assumption that no one's thinking about it because – you know, I've, I've misinterpreted it or something like that, rather than just sort of having the confidence to think, oh, there might be a problem there. I might be able to do something about it and just try and try and solve it. Because the truth is, if, if, if it's not really a problem or if it's something that's already been solved, someone will soon tell you about it. So, uh, yeah, so just, just kind of back yourself when you've got an idea because, you know, the worst that's going to happen is you fail quickly. And that's, I think, the most important thing is, is just get out there and learn. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think that that's probably it, really. I think failing quickly is, is a great point to make because yeah. I, I've seen companies fail very slowly and very expensively. Yes. Uh, so, so failing quickly is excellent and goes back to one of my pet themes, which is always making sure that you've really researched the background of what you're trying to solve to identify mm-hmm. if it really is a problem in the first place. Yeah. Um, and then you can fail really quickly and go, well, yeah. actually, that's not a problem. It's just that particular hospital that you were in and they weren't exactly. working to protocol. could be as yeah. simple as that. So, yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's an awful lot to be said for doing that, for, for, for getting your research in to help you fail quickly. Because yeah. what you'll find is that successful entrepreneurs very rarely were successful on the first event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've tried and they've failed and they've learned and they've tried and they've failed again and they've learned again until eventually they get to a point where they've tried and it's been picked up. It's resonated in the right places. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think that's really important. I mean, there was one serial entrepreneur, med tech entrepreneur, uh, and in fact, I might be starting a project with him again soon, but... um, you know, one of the other things he also says is if you really knew all the challenges you were going to have when you embark on a project and you're able to incorporate them into a business plan, no one would ever sign off it. You'd never be able to raise any money. No one would ever agree to it. So it's just it's it's that kind of being prepared to get out. Yeah, if you're going to fail, fail quickly, but also be prepared to a bit of tenacity and, and a bit of resilience in there as well. Because, you know, yes, that idea that you tr- had initially might fail, but you would have learned on that process. So you just adapt and think, OK, so I wasn't quite right this time. Um, what what have I learned going through this and, and what is real and what is a real problem I can go and solve? So it's that kind of iterative process. Yeah. And having that personal kind of resilience to just keep keep on going until you find something that works. And 
iteration is something that we do as as a pair of us in lots of work, particularly when we're doing things like grants and bid writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Iteration is really, really important because I always say to people on the teams that I'm working with, uh, when we're looking at a grant application or a tender, yeah. um, I always say, this is the first draft. It will be rubbish. Mm. Yeah. Because the first draft should be rubbish, not intentionally rubbish, no, but the no. first draft should be enough to actually poke people to say, actually, this is wrong because, and these are the bits we need to change. What always concerns me most is when clients say, no, that's great, just leave it as it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, those are scary moments. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So... Um, is there anything you particularly like to share with the audience before we finish this session? Any any bright insights or thoughts you'd like to share? Well, I don't know about bright insights, but I just think our industry, you know, medical technology, you know, I think is great. We're very lucky to have been born and work in the UK because it is a real hub. We, what, what we do really well is the bits that you and I work in, which is this early stage, the creativity, the problem solving. Um, we struggle as an industry to often scale these ideas because we haven't got the venture capital markets that exist in the US, for example. But nevertheless, I think, you know, we're lucky we've got a great university sector in the UK. You know, we've got, um, you know, some real innovative minds and we've got a real track record of doing and bringing innovation to market. So um, I just think, you know, depending on, on who's listening, if they're either someone who works in the industry, I think, you know, you should have the confidence that you're in a great industry. And if someone who's thinking about entering it, um, I mean, it's just there's a whole lifetime of challenge. And the industry is so broad. We need scientists, we need engineers, we need commercial people, we need accountants, we need all sorts of different people. We just need people with ap the right aptitude as well to be able to keep going and, and bring an idea to market. So I think that's, that's not, so, not necessarily a great insight it's just, I guess, the comment on our industry, really. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I would say, for me, this industry is constantly changing and evolving. There's always something to learn. If you want to stave off dementia, <laughs> join this industry because you'll yeah, always be having to learn something. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yes, I think it's a, that's a great insight there from you, Steve. Thank you very much. And Thank thanks, you. everybody, for listening. Um, this has been MedTech for Beginners. If you'd like to know more about myself and Steve and the services that we offer, you can find us on www.pimsconsultancy, that's Papa Yankee Mike Sierra, consultancy.co.uk. Um, and we also welcome your comments on the podcast and any requests about things that you'd like to hear more about please leave those in the comments and we will try to include them in future episodes thank you and thank you very much it's been great talking to you as always we do spend an awful lot of time talking with each other uh, so uh, to get this on tape is uh, has been a, a great experience thanks again thank you thank you for listening to this podcast we hope you found it both interesting and useful. Please feel free to message us if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask or any requests for future interviewees or any particular aspects of MedTech that you'd like to know more about. 
we'd be happy to include them in future episodes. Our email address is info at pimsconsultancy.co.uk. That's info at papa, yankee, mike, sierra, consultancy.co.uk. Or you can find out more about this podcast by visiting pimsconsultancy.co.uk forward slash medtechpodcast. Until the next time, bye for now.